All right, friends, um, if you have a Bible, Matthew chapter 4, uh, verses 12 through 23, going to read it, set the scene for you a little bit, and then um, talk about an alternative music scene from the 80s, and then uh, we'll close it out with, um, I don't know what it means to live in a way that we remember uh, the future. So are you ready? All right, Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 23. It says, now when he, Jesus, heard that John had been arrested, uh, the story gets interesting immediately, doesn't it? Uh, he withdrew into Galilee. After leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulon and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I have to always think that Andrew and them were like, That was kind of cheesy, wasn't it? Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in a boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the space that we can come and meet weekend on the weekends and to sing songs about you and to you. And uh, Father, I pray that you um, prepare our hearts as we look into this story a little bit deeper this morning and teach us something we need to hear. In your name we pray and everyone said, amen. Okay, so what Matthew wants us to see in this scene is the exchange of influence between John and his relative Jesus. Um, John, at his arrest, begins to fade uh, into the background. He exits the story, as it were, while Jesus begins his work uh, that he was sent to do. Seen here as he's starting to collect and build this body of students, of disciples, of apprentices, uh, collecting people, asking them to follow him, and so on. So the school of Jesus has officially opened. That's what this story is about, of which all of us at some level are enrolled. If you're here, you're either deeply involved in the school of Jesus or you are looking in the window wondering what's going on. But either way, we are all enrolled at some level in that school. And in the middle of the text, there is this announcement that Jesus makes. It's actually not unique to him. He's borrowing it from John. This was John's main sermon as well, but there's this statement that he makes, and we'll put it on the screen here so you can see it, but he says, repent, say that, don't you just love saying that word, Uh, for the kingdom of heaven is what? At hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There are a couple of ways that people read this verse. One is that it's a warning, because it does sound like that. When you hear the word repent, you you envision uh, you know, sandwich board man, um, right outside Dragon Con, um, <laughs> giving his two cents worth on uh, 
why you shouldn't dress up as a minotaur. Um, <laughs> repent. Come back to God. There's that. It's a warning. But another way to read this, and this is our way this morning, just so you know, you can read it also as an invitation into something incredible. So we'll talk about that. Now, the word repent, in its Greek usage, it's very simple and very narrow. It, it just means that you change the way that you think about something. On a macro level, it's that you change the way that you view the world around you. It's a, it's a, it's a process of a new orientation, a mental orientation to your life and to the world around you. You might use the word a philosophical change. So repentance, um, you know, is about that. In its Greek usage, it is about changing your mind. And in some cases, repentance is about sin and destructive behaviors that need to die off. That's true. We all have them. Uh, if you don't like the word sin, choose a different word, but it's still the same result. There are things in our lives that just need to die off. The anger, the hatred, maybe we're shackled by addictions. All of these things we hope and pray and work towards eradicating from our life. So some of it is about sin and destructive behaviors in our own lives, but also in the world. Things like injustice, things like uh, you know, hatred and systemic racism and all these things, they need to die off. Amen? And so when, we, when the Bible talks about repentance in that regard, it's a very positive, everybody agrees, although it might not be the same language. In other cases, like this one, it's, uh, it's more about this change of philosophy and of our orientation to the world around us. And Jesus is saying in this same statement, repentance is necessary because something he's calling the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Whatever that is, whatever the kingdom of heaven is, it requires a change of mind. That's the key to understanding this verse, this statement from Jesus. Whatever the kingdom of heaven is, and we're going to talk about that, um, it requires us to think differently. Jesus is basically saying, what God is up to in the world uh, won't make any sense through the current set of glasses that you're wearing. You'll need a new set of lenses. It won't make any sense. And it's true. I mean, if I just, again, we always float this one, but if we float the teaching of Jesus to love your enemies, that just doesn't make sense through the glasses that, through which we see the world. And so we have to figure out how to change our minds uh, so that we can understand what this kingdom of heaven is all about. Now, a couple of things about the kingdom of heaven. When Jesus said this, and when John said this too, but when Jesus announces the beginning of his ministry with this statement, it was a political statement. Now, I'm very uh, Gen X and could care less, you know, but uh, when people talk about Jesus not being political, it's not true. He made political statements all the time. The Gospels are fashioned together with anti-government statements. You know, the most, common, um, the most common declaration you would make in the days of Jesus would be that Caesar is what? Lord. And then the biblical writers come along and say, we'll just say Jesus is Lord. I know that doesn't sound like much to us, but it's, it's a subversive comment. And so Jesus makes this political statement about a kingdom of heaven. 
Now, if you follow the trail to uh, the trial and the death of Jesus, you, you sort of run into this question of like, well, how did he get arrested? Because if I'm reading the Gospels right, it's like love God and love your neighbor, and then he healed some people of some diseases. So why is he even arrested? Well, if you follow that trail far enough, it comes down to this right here, that he's announcing this new kingdom. And the in the ears and the minds of the occupying empire, that's treason. And so Jesus ends up on trial, not because he said he was the son of God. Rome could care less what you think you are. But when he's talking about a new kingdom, they get a little itchy. And so Jesus, on his trial, before his crucifixion, Pilate asks him, because this is the news he's been given, um, are you a king? And Jesus says, not in the same way that you think. <laughs> not in the ways that you understand. And Pilate is so frustrated. I mean, he's on his third cigarette by this time in the trial. <laughs> and he's just like, can you just tell me why they have brought you here, basically? I don't understand why you're here. Are you a king? Are you a king? So this kingdom of heaven thing is not to be taken as like, oh, that's a pretty turn of phrase. It was a treasonous, risky thing to say in a world that's very alien to ours, but it was a very subversive thing. Now, Matthew chooses to focus on the word heaven. The kingdom of God is the more common phrase, and it appears in the book of Matthew as well, but the majority of the time it's the kingdom of heaven. And what Matthew is trying to illustrate for us is, I mean, they're interchangeable, but the word heaven keeps us more in this realm that heaven is this realm, not in terms of acreage and borders, like a kingdom you would normally think of, but because of its divine ethos, of its redemptive and gracious mission. So the kingdom of heaven is a beautiful phrase, the empire of heaven, as it's sometimes called, that it is defined by its divine attributes of redemption and grace. And heaven is just a way of talking about, at least the biblical writers see it this way, a way of talking about God's transcendent work in the world. Um, most theologians will say, ah, uh, heaven and earth, that's the two interlocking arenas of God's work in the world. That when we pray, we are at the connection of heaven and earth. When we read the Psalms, when we sing these songs in here, when we take communion, we stand at the connection of heaven and earth. And so Jesus makes this statement, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And it is, uh, in a roundabout way, a statement about the empires and the kingdoms that existed at the time. And the empires of the world versus the empires of heaven are two very different things. And so Jesus is holding up an alternative picture of kingdom, one that isn't defined by violence or class or fear or greed or status, but by its relentless commitment to God's work of bringing renewal to our lives and to our world. So basically Jesus is saying, there's these kingdoms, and they come and they go. You know, If Rome's not the best example of too big to fail, you know, a lot of people look at our own country and go, it's got a lot of similarities 
you know? And so we have to, we have to pay attention. Uh, but Rome is the, that's the example. And Jesus is living in the very middle of that, uh, the momentum of that empire. And so he's pointing at it and saying, this, this is over at some point. It doesn't last. They come and they go. But there's this alternative that isn't based on the things that build kingdoms of the world. And it's about renewing, about God's renewing work in the world. Got it? Okay, let's talk about music. Um, I went to high school in the 80s, and thank you. And uh, there was still a smoking section in my high school. Um, true story. It was kind of odd. It was down at the far end of the back hall, the back wing of the building. We always felt that was ironic because he had five minutes between class. I'm like, the smokers ain't running to get to the, like, <laughs> we got to run. You know, it was by the shop class. They all took shop. You know, they had to, what's your class load this year? I could shop so I can smoke them too. Um, but anyway, uh, there was a whole new music scene that was developing in the 80s. Um, the 80s was, uh, I would say, probably the most diverse decade of music. I mean, every genre had a shot. Every genre could fill a stadium. It was very odd. Um, but underneath all of the mainstream music, there was this scene developing that eventually got labeled the alternative music scene. Uh, anybody? I mean, it's great stuff, you know. Um, and growing up here in Atlanta, we had our own station. And it's this one right here. I've got it. Yeah. So uh, anybody? Yeah, 88.5, man. Um, Georgia State Radio, 100,000 watts, left on the dial, right on the music, right? <laughs> that was the tagline. For those of you who don't understand, there's a dial on the, on the radio. So, um, but this was the station that would play, it was the only station that would play these alternative bands, you know. Everything else, you know, the, the mainstream stations, it was just, you know, Poison, Warrant, uh, you know, Whitney Houston, uh, just all the stuff, you know, it's fine. Uh, but if you wanted to hear bands like The Cure or Depeche Mode, or the church, or come on, the Smiths. Uh, can I just keep going? Um, REM, even in the early days, you know, before they sold out. The. Uh, <laughs> so, oh, they wrote this. Um, but that was the only station, you know, that you could hear that stuff. And it was. Fantastic, and they would, and because, but because it was college radio, it was hit or miss, you know. It depended on the DJ, and they weren't relegated to like, you know, the rules of like the clear channel radio stations where they had to like play a certain library. They could just do whatever they wanted. Well, jump ahead when we, our church was uptown, we had a bass player for years named Nick. He was a student at Georgia State at the time, and he was a DJ at eighty-eight point five. And he was like, "If you ever want to come by the station, I'll give you a tour." And I was like. 
everybody's got to go to Mecca, you know, like, <laughs> I've been called up, you know, so I totally wanted to go see it, I'd never, you know, and so I met him at the school one day, and he, we went up, you know, we went up into the building, and he opened the door, and y'all, like, it was everything I dreamed, you know, <laughs> it was dingy, um, the whole left wall, the hallway, was just a CD case from ceiling to floor, maybe 30 feet long. And like he's, and he's been there too long. He's like, reception, CDs, and he kept walking, and I just stopped. I was like, hold on, buddy. You know, I'm going through all the CDs, you know, looking at, you know, the different bands and, and whatnot. And then he took me into the, you know, the DJ booth, which is really my dream job, but I know that's a dying trade. Um, but it was interesting. It was fun. But they don't do that anymore, you know. They, by the time Nick was working there, it was just like... Um, I don't know, Bonavere B-sides, you know. Um. <laughs> that joke fell flat. <laughs> like Bonavere. Uh. My point is, my point is, uh, you know, the arguments in our school was, yeah, you can listen to that, but there's this other world of music that's coming along, you know. There's this new sounds, these new sounds, these new artists, this alternative thing that you can dive into. And I just give you that sort of lame story. Uh, it has nothing to do with the kingdom of heaven, of course, uh, but the kingdom of heaven for Jesus is the great alternative to the kingdoms of the world. And we're invited to listen to it and to participate in it and to hope for its full arrival. In a moment, we'll pray before communion, and we say the same prayers every week, and one of those is the Lord's Prayer. This is the prayer that Jesus gave his disciples to pray. It was very common in that day for Jewish teachers and rabbis to develop a prayer specifically for their disciples. It marked you as their disciple. John had a prayer, and then Jesus gives a prayer to his disciples, and we pray it today. But there's a line in there that says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in what? Heaven. We pray that every single week. And it's this acknowledgement that the ways of God are filling the earth and we pray for that. And Jesus lived and died as though things like pain and evil and injustice would someday end. He really did. And that the world would be covered with the presence of God's grace and mercy. And when he gave us this prayer, he asks us to pray for that very thing. Now, people have confused the kingdom and made it about politics, or they've made it about territorial Issues, or they've made it about some sort of nationalistic thing. But when Jesus speaks of the kingdom, it's the exact opposite of that. It's, it has no boundaries. It has no borders. It has no tanks. It has no armies. It has no politicians. It just has love, the love of God that moves through his people. And the balance is very hard for us because we live within multiple kingdoms. We, we live in the world that we cannot escape from. We have to vote. We have to pay taxes. We have to 
go to work, we have to do all these things. And they're all part of different kinds of kingdoms, hierarchical systems of the world that can sometimes be frustrating, but we have to participate in that. You can't just eject from culture. I mean, you can, but it's not really the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is somehow within the kingdoms of the world, but living in allegiance to a different kingdom. And there's grace in that. We straddle too. If you ever feel frustrated in your faith, that's normal. I feel like I'm, you know, some days I'm on, some days I'm off. It's because you live in multiple kingdoms. Nobody lives in one. We all live in these multiple empires. We're influenced by them all. And so there's grace in that. There's grace as we move forward in life. But we pray and we live these words in order to keep heaven in view. That's the point, especially in the midst of some pretty hellish realities of our world and of our lives. It's a living hope. The kingdom of heaven and the participation in it is a living hope. Um, N.T. Wright says this about that part of the Lord's Prayer. We are praying as Jesus was praying and acting for the redemption of the world, for the radical defeat and uprooting of evil, and for heaven and earth to be married at last, for God to be all in all, And if we pray this way, we must, of course, be prepared to live this way. Sometimes we'll say the Nicene Creed in here, and I just love the closing line of that that creed where it says, we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. That that's our posture in the world. We look for those things. Um, The Jews have a phrase, the olam ha'aba, a taste of the world to come. That's what the Sabbath is for. They take a break once a week. It's for multiple reasons, but one is that it is a taste of the world to come, a place of rest, of fellowship, of grace, of friendship, the life of the world to come. That's our posture. So as you leave here today and into the week, you're going to enter, we're all going to enter multiple empires and kingdoms, but we carry with us the ethos of heaven. Amen.